Boker Tov, and we are now continuing with the Mishnah, and Daf Vav Amudbet, Mishnah Dalvid in the Masachet, which is going to gently move us into the very famous tangent series of the Einbeins, which will occupy our attention for the next few days. But in the meantime, today our entire focus will be on Purim, and today will be the only time in which we're going to investigate the other mitzvot of Purim besides Mikra Megillah, and we'll cover them entirely. Uh, so the people uh, read Megillah on the 14th or 15th of Adar, and then later in the month of Adar, the Beit Din decided to add another month to the year because they saw that uh, the 16th of Nisan would fall out during still in the winter season, as per the directions that we saw in Masachat Rosh Hashanah, and they added another month. What do we do now? Have we fulfilled the mitzvah? Do we have to do the mitzvah again? Korino Tabadar Sheni. So our Mishnah rules that you have to read the Megillah again in the second Adar. And then the general rule. Ein bein Adar Rishon HaRishon Adar HaSheni. The only difference between the two months is Ela Kriyat HaMegillah Umatanot Levyonim. The only difference between the two is Mikra Megillah, which must be done according to our Mishnah in the second Adar. And so the same with Matanot Levyonim. Now, the Ein bein makes it very clear that there are other halachot that do apply equally to two, to both Adars. We have to figure out what they, what they are. So the assumption of the Gemara immediately is, Halinyan Seder Parshiot, what must be the referent, that which is, which is in common between the two, is the Seder Parshiot, meaning the Arba Parshiot that are read in the weeks preceding, uh, preceding Pesach. Zev Shavin. Meaning that if you read the four parshiot in Adar Rishon, according to our Mishnah, you would be Yotze. If that's the case, then that means that the opinion represented in our Mishnah maintains that the Arba parshiot can be read in either month, but Megillah and Matanot Levyonim, and we assume that means the other mitzvot of Pur, must be done in Adar Sheni. Which leaves us now without a recognizable Tana to rely on, as we see. Mani Matnitin, who is our Mishnah? So, those three have the fa- are represented in the following Baraita, the Tanya. Our case, the Megillah was read in the first Adar, and then they added a month to the year. If you read it again, as per Mishnah, meaning that all mitzvot of Adar Sheni could be done in the first month, except for Mikra Megillah. But it doesn't mention Matanot Levyonim, so that opinion cannot be our Mishnah. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yossi Omer, in Korinotah he disagrees diametrically and says, you do not have to reread it. Shekol mitzvot shenogot pashini nohagot parishon. Any mitzvah that you have to do in Adar Shini, you could do in Adar Rishon, including Mikra Megillah. So he certainly couldn't be our, our, our Tana. It must be read in Adar Shini. He seems to say the same as the Tanakama, which is that all mitzvot that must be done in the second month do, cannot be done in the first month. Now, the Tanakama said it a little bit differently. What did he say? All mitzvot that are no Hege in the second month are no Hege in the first month, except for Mikra Megillah. Shem Gamliel said, None of the mitzvot that are noeg in the second month are noeg in the first month. But all they were talking about was mikra migilat. So where's the point of difference? Um, the end of the b'rita is that everyone agrees 
and you are not allowed to have fasts or eulogies on the 14th or 15th of either Adar. Good. That's the Brayta. Now, Rosh Gamliel, Hainu Tanakama, as we just pointed out, Rosh Gamliel seems to have the same opinion as Tanakama. So my papa, Seder Parshio, So the difference between them is Seder Parshio, because Tanakama only put the emphasis on Mikra Megillah, and he said otherwise the mitzvot are the same, which means you could do Seder Parshio in the first month. And Rosh Gamliel says, no, all mitzvot of the Shani can't be done in the first month, meaning even Seder Parshio must be done in the second month. Tanakama Sabra, Lachatchila Vashani, Avud Barishon Avud, so Tanakama says, ideally, you do them in the second month, the Seder Parshio, but if they're done in the first month, you don't say. The one exception is, is Megillah, that if it was read in the first month, it does have to be read in the second month. So all mitzvot of the first month, um, you do not have to repeat, except Megillah. Ideally, if you know that there's two Adars coming, you wait. Rabbi says, everything ideally is in the first Adar. We'll see why later. And Rosham Gamliel says that even if you did the Arba Parshiot in the first month, you have to redo them, meaning all the mitzvot. If you did them in the first Adar, any one of the mitzvot that's unique to Adar, and they add another Adar, you have to do any one, every one of them again. So, Mani, who is then, who is our Mishnah then? E Tanakama, if Tanakama is the author of our Mishnah, so Kasha Matanot, because our Tanakama didn't mention Matanot of Yonim. And we would assume that our Tanakama in the Brightha would say that if you gave Matanot Levyonim on the 14th of Adar and then they added a month, you wouldn't have to give it again. And our Mishnah said that you do. Our Mishnah certainly can't be Rabbalazar Rabbi Yossi because he says that even Migilah doesn't have to be repeated. And if it's Gamliel who we just deciphered as claiming that even Seder Parshiot has to be done in the second month, and we also inferred in our Mishnah that Seder Parshiot does not have to be repeated, then it can't be Rosh Gamliel. So we have two ways to go with this. First of all, it's clear, Rabbi Lozabar Yossi cannot be the author of our Mishnah. So we have two options. Either we have Tanakama, and we have to deal with the Matanot Levyonim omission, or it's Rosh Gamliel, and we have to somehow understand Seder Parshiot. So the first approach is the Olam Tanakama, the Tanamikra Megillah Vodin Matanot Levyonim. The, our author is Tanakama. He said Mikra Megillah. What that implies is Matanot Levyonim, because the Habaha Talia. Because after all, one depends on the other. And in fact, we even said that when you read the Megillah early, you give Matanot Levyonim on that early day because the Anim are anticipating it. That's approach one. Approach two is Vibaytem Aliola Mishum Gamlieli. Our Mishnah is from the Rashbag. The Matnitin Chasuri Machsarain. Our Mishnah has a piece missing. This is how it should read. The only difference between the 14th of the Adar, of the first and second Adar, is which, by the way, leaves now what? For what purposes are they the same? Aha, so as far as eulogies and fasting, the two are equal. But as far as meaning and Mishloach Manot and Suda, means all the mitzvot of Purim, the uh, Artana says the second uh, it must be done in the second month. The Ilu Parshiot Lavari and our Mishnah is just not talking about Seder Parshiot. Our Mishnah is not dealing with mitzvot that happen to come out during Adar, of which, by the way, only one of them is really connected to Adar. That's Parshat Zachor, Mashkalim, and Para and Achodesh all really are pre-Pesach Parshiot. So uh, that's that's how we decide how we uh, resolve who the author of our mission is, either Tanakama, 
And when he said Mikra Megillah, he includes the other mitzvot of Purim, or it's Rashbag, and we're only dealing with the day of Purim, not the whole month of Adar. Now, I'm Rabbi Chia Baravin, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Hilchatak Rabbi Gamliel, Shomar Mishim Rabbi Yossi. So, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, who said that uh, that the halacha is that it must, everything must be done in the second month, that is the halacha. I'm Rabbi Yochanan, Rishnihem Mikra Echad Darshu. And both Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and Rabbi Loza Rabbi Yossi, who disagreed about whether Megillah should be read ideally in the second Adar or the first Adar, were both bouncing off of the same verse. The verse is the first pasuk on the page, which is Bechol Shana V'Shana. It's a pasuk we've already seen, uh, which halachically has been understood consistently to mean that, that, that Megillah must be commemorated, must be done the same way every year, Bechol Shana V'Shana. Ma'akol Shana V'Shana, Dar Samuch V'Nisan, Af Adar, sorry, Rabbi Yossi, so just like every year, we read the Megillah in the Adar that's near the month of Shvat, right after Shvat. So similarly in this year, the first Adar. He says simply the opposite. We always read it in the Adar that's business before Nisan. So now we also read it in the Adar Samuch Nisan. So do some Rabbi Rabbi Yossi. I understand Rabbi Lozer Rabbi Yossi. Mistaber time. He's got a good reason. The Ein Mavira on Mitzvot. Because after all, it's quite equivocal. Do I go for the fact that it's after Shvat or before Nisan? But I've got another consideration, which is Ein Mavira on Mitzvot. We never want to delay Mitzvot. We don't want to put off a Mitzvah. Mitzvah, the opportunity which presents itself, we don't put off till later. By time. So what does Mishim Gamliel say? We delay the Mitzvah another month. The answer is. If he wants to have Purim be as close to Pesach as possible, because they are both expressions of the Geula, and they're both commemorations of a great Geula, a great redemption. Now, that is one approach. Rabbi Lazar Amari, as it says, is a different reason from Mishim Gamliel's ruling. At the very end of the Megillah, it says that Mordechai and Esther sent out Kol uh, Tokef with all legal and regal power. They should fulfill this this second letter of Purim. Why do you say Hashinit? Start because Hashinit is kind of to allude that Purim should be read in the second Adar. It's an illusion. Now we explain why we need both of these psukim to explain why poor, why uh, the Megillah would be read in the second Adar. If I only had every year the idea of having consistency of many kikushan, then I would have our challenge, which is I'm not going to delay the mitzvah. So that's why the Pasuk says In this case, you actually do delay till the second month. If I only had Hashinit, I might think that means Shinit meaning a second time, meaning you do Megillah twice. Every Adar you do it, which is the two, two Adars you do it twice. Therefore, it says, every year I do it once, this year I do it once, and I do it in the second month. So what does he do with Hashanit, since he says you read in the first month? He reads Hashanit, not as in a hint towards when it should be read, but rather to describing the evolution of the holiday, that originally Purim was accepted in Shushan, and then a second letter was sent out in which it was accepted by worldwide Jewry.
Now that leads us to the next discussion, which is a fascinating insight into the development or the enactment of the holiday of Purim and some of the inherent difficulties, and into the canonization and the dispute over the canonization of Megillat Esther. So Esther sent a message to the Chachamim after the miracle of Purim. I want this holiday to be established for generations. In other words, I would like an official enactment to have the holiday of Purim. So they sent back a message. You're going to create a lot of jealousy among the nations. Here we're celebrating our victory over them. She said back, The whole story is already publicized. It's already written, as it says at the very end of the Megillah, on the, in the annals of the kings of Media and Persia. So it's not like there's anything new here. That piece was put aside quickly. These four Tanaim, these four Amoraim taught, Anytime you get these four in Seder Moed, Chelufi Rabbi Yochan or Mayo Rabbi Yonatan, take it Rabbi Yochan, and really should be Rabbi Yonatan. Shachalam Esther the Chachamim. This is what the four of them said. They said Esther sent a message to the Chachamim. Kitvuni l'dorot, meaning I want the story of the Megillah to be written into uh, into the Tanakh. Shachula, they sent back a message and they quoted a pasuk in Mishlei. Hello, katavtilach shalishim. I have sent you good advice, but the drasha is shalishim, meaning I've written you three times. What does that mean? Shalishim valori be'im, only three times and not four times. The notion is that the story of Amalek was written three times. One time when Amalek attacked Bnei Israel in the Midbar, one time when we were commanded to destroy Amalek, and one time when Shaul destroyed Amalek, or one part of Amalek. Until they found a text which gave an illusion, this is what Hashem said to Moshe after the victory over Amalek in, in, in Shemot Yudzayin. Ketov Zot, write this, means Mashikatuv Khan of Mishneh Torah. That refers to what's written in Shemot and in Dvarim. Zikaron Mashikatuv Anvi'im. Zikaron refers to what's written in the Nevi'im, in Sefer Shmuel. And that's the war of Shaul over Amalek. Although we have to remember that there was a whole episode of David beating Amalek in Shmuel Aleph Paraglamid. And so we had an extra word there that says, aha, I guess there's room for one more entry into Tanakh about the war with Amalek. However, that itself was subject to dispute. According to this first Tanah, Rabbi Yeshua, he says that Ketov Zot refers to Shemot. Rabbi Yeshua says the three mentions in the Pasuk refer to Shemot, Dvarim, and Shmuel. In other words, there is no room for any more mention. takes the position that we took, which is that Ketov Zot refers to both mentions in Chumash, which means that, according to Rabbi Yeshua, a very important Tana, there is no room for a Megillat Esther in Tanakh. And we have to understand that the entire premise of the argument here is that the only justification for the inclusion of Megillat Esther in Tanakh is if it records something that already in the Torah there was an illusion should be included in Tanakh, and the only possible connection would be the war with Amalek, which is to be a commemoration and a perennial commitment to writing, 
And therefore, we say, aha, there's another episode with Amalek, therefore, we, we include it. But if we say that the, the Torah only commanded us to have three commitments to writing, and we have Shmot and Dvarim and Shmuel, then that would be it. Good. So now we continue on with our analysis of the status of Megillat Esther. And one important pre- uh, prefatory point is that uh, in the, in the uh, times of Bayit Sheni, they made a Gzerah, that anybody who touches Kitvei HaKodesh, uh, his hands become Tamei. And the reason for the Gzerah of Tumat Yadam and Kitvei HaKodesh was to make sure that Kitvei HaKodesh would not be buried anywhere near Truma, because they were Metamei. And the result of, uh, had they been buried together, then when the rats would come to eat of Truma, they would also come and defile the Kitvei HaKodesh. This is part of the reason why for the Takana. As a result of that, though, the way to, the sort of a litmus test of whether something belongs in Tanakh, the way that Chazal referred to it is, is, is it metameh And sort of counterintuitively, if something is metameh that means it belongs in Kitvei HaKodesh. So here are the following statement. Amar Yehud Amar Shmuel, Esther eina metameh Shmuel says Esther is not metameh which means Shmuel held that Esther does not belong in Tanakh. Remember the summer Shmuel, Esther la Baruch HaKodesh Nemra, which Shmuel, as we're going to see very soon, was the champion of the argument that Esther was written by divine inspiration. Ramar Shmuel, Esther Baruch HaKodesh Nemra. So the answer is, Nemra Likrot, Velo Nemra Likhtov. He says, you're right, the story was told Baruch HaKodesh, but it was not, there was no command to have it be written down. In other words, its writing was not done Baruch HaKodesh, and therefore it should not be included. So This is the Mishnah in Yadayim. He says, Kohelet is not Metamet HaYadayim, and Shirashirim is a dispute. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Shirashirim Metamet HaYadayim, Machloket Pekohelet. He has it the opposite way. Shirashirim is certainly Metamet HaYadayim, and the dispute is about Kohelet. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Kohelet Mikulei Beit Shamei Muchumer Beit Hillel. Rabbi Shimon says that it's one of the leniencies of Beit Shammai, which because Beit Shammai say it's not metamei ha'dayim, and Beit Hillel says it is. Avarut v'shirashim ve'ester metamei ha'dayim. So so far nobody, nobody of these Tanaim has spoken up and said Esther is not metamei ha'dayim. So how does Shmuel say it is not metamei ha'dayim? The answer is Hudamar Rabbi Yeshua. He must hold like Rabbi Yeshua, who we just saw above, who said that the three mentions regarding Amalek include and are exhausted by the time we get to Shmuel, and there is no room for Megillah Esther. Now, Tanya Mishim and Nasi Omer, Kohelet Einu Metamet HaEdayim, parenthetically, Meshachoch Matosh HaShlamohi. Mishim and Nasi's argument is that Kohelet, uh, which according to some of the Chachamim was written by Shlomo, according to others, the Sugin Babat was written by Chizkiyahu and his, uh, and his entourage, uh, because Roshim Manasseh says, Kohelet was simply Shlomo's human wisdom and not divine wisdom. Uh, and so they said back to Roshim Manasseh, is this all that Shlomo said? If it's, if, if it's his human wisdom, then the book should be a lot bigger. And the Pasuk in Mishle says, don't add to his words. Why do we have to add? So, because you could argue that maybe he said lots of stuff. He only wrote some of it down. Therefore, it says, don't add to his words. In other words, in other words, you're not allowed to add to that. Tanya, Rolazar Omer, now we'll go back to Esther. Esther, Rocha Kodesh, Nemra, what's his proof that Esther is Baruch Kodesh? Each one of the 
of the uh, Chachamim now is going to try to prove that Esther is written by Ruach HaKodesh by showing a pasuk that could not have been written without Ruach HaKodesh. So his proof text is when Achashverosh asks Haman in the middle of the night, what should I do for somebody that I want to honor? So it says, Haman said to himself in his heart, it must be me. So how would we know what Haman's thinking in his heart if it wasn't given Ruach HaKodesh? In chapter 2, when Esther uh, comes before the king, it says that she found favor in everybody's eyes. So uh, how would we know that everybody thought Esther was beautiful unless we have Ruach HaKodesh? How would Mordechai find out about uh, the plot of Big Tan Vatarish at the end of chapter 2? must be Ruach HaKodesh. This one is a little bit different because this isn't claiming that the Megillah is written by Ruch HaKodesh, but rather Ruch HaKodesh is operating within the Megillah. The report that came back that not one Jew took anything of the spoils of their enemies, how would anybody know that? Must be Ruch HaKodesh. Shmuel said, if I had been there then, I would have said a better explanation, a better argument. The Jews fulfilled and accepted. What does that mean? Above in heaven, they fulfilled what the Jews accepted, meaning they gave a heavenly imprimatur to the, to the holiday. Rava then commented and said, every one of the other proofs could be refuted except for Shmuel's. It's irrefutable. By the way, the reason it's irrefutable is it's because it's unprovable. Because it's not what the pasuk means, kimuva kiblu, and there's no way to demonstrate whether or not it's true that in heaven they accepted it, as opposed to all of these other ones, which uh, which there are other ways to explain what these events are. Each one of them really is reading pshat, but on a midrashic level, it's uh, it's fascinating because kimuva kiblu means that there is the divine imprimatur on the holiday. Now, what are the challenges? Drabalazo, the first one, has said vayomaman belibo. Svarahu, it's very reasonable. Haman figured nobody else is so important to the king as I. So therefore, Haman must have figured and he he uh, he wants to do this for me. And therefore, the author of the Megillah knows that also. And therefore, everything that he said to do here, he's doing for himself. Rebekiva, Rebekiva said Esther, he found Esther very beautiful. We have a Midrash that we'll see later on uh, that says that everybody saw Esther as looking like one of his own tribe's women, and it's from his own nation. So that uh, that miracle, therefore, means she she found favor in their eyes. You wouldn't need Ruach HaGodesh for that, because if you say, you know, look at that beautiful Persian girl, and he says, oh, no, she's a media, and the other one says, oh, she's a Chaldean, and the other one says, she's a whatever, then you would immediately know that everybody's seeing her differently, and you could say that. Ahadra Meir. Rameyer's proof, uh, which was, The Agadah that we'll get to later on, the explanation we'll get to later on, that says that Bitan Teresh were from a foreign country, and they were speaking publicly, but in their foreign tongue, and they didn't know that Mordechai knew their tongue. The proof about maybe they actually had messengers that checked up and saw that not one bit of the loot was taken. So in other words, it didn't need to have Ruach HaKodesh. Shmuel certainly cannot be challenged. Of course, as I mentioned, it can't be challenged because there's no way to demonstrate it either. 
Amravina, Hainu Damrinche, that's why people say Tavachana Pilpalta Kharifta, one sharp pepper is greater than Malate Sani Kari than a whole basket full of uh of uh squash. In other words, one good sharp vort is better than a lot of uh limp. Yosef had another proof that Esther is Ruach HaKodesh. That Purim will never leave the Jews. Now, even though that's written really as a diktat, nonetheless, it can be written as a prophecy also. From the same pasuk at the end, the memory of Purim will never fade from the children of the Jews. All right. So we have all sorts of different demonstrations, but as we see, the issue of the inclusion of Megillat Esther in the canon was a hotly debated issue well into the 3rd century. Uh, now, the Pasuk says that uh, we are Chayav in Matanot Levyonim. Chayav Yosef, Mishloach Manot Ishtureihu. What is that? Sorry, Matanot Levyonim here is a quote from the Mishnah. The Matanot Levyonim also has to be done the second month. Chayav Yosef, Mishloach Manot Ishtureihu. This is, by the way, the only passage that discusses the other mitzvot of Purim. Shtei Manot Leishachad. Mishloach Manot means two portions of food to one person. That's your, the mitzvah. Matanot Levyonim, gifts to the poor. It's two gifts to two people, not four gifts. Two gifts, one each to one person. Now, Reunion of Sia, we heard several stories here. So he sent Rabbi Oshaya, who was not a wealthy man, he sent him on Purim the thigh of a, uh, of a fat calf and a jug of wine. Shalachli, she sent back a message. She sent back to the Benasiyah, you fulfilled both mitzvot of Mishloach Manot, because it's two portions, and Matamot Levyonim, because I'm poor. Rabbah, remember Rabbah was Abaya's ward. Abaya was also his student. Rabbah was also the Rosh Shiva, but he was poor. Rabbah Shadalei Lamare Barmar, Biyan Abaye, Malataska de Kashva. So Rabbah, Rabbah sent with Abaye, as Mishloach Manot, he sent a basket filled with dates, umale kasa kimchadav shuna, and a, and a cup full of uh, dried out uh, toasted corn, which is not a very expensive or nice gift. So Abai said back to him, Hashta Amamari, Mari is going to say about you, if the farmer has become a king, he still can't take the basket from his neck, meaning you're a Rosh Hashim and you're still giving gifts like a simple farmer. But of course he couldn't give more. Then Mari sent back a basket full of ginger, and a cup full of long peppers. Now is going to say, I sent sweet things, and he sent me back sharp things. Because Abaye was pointing out how each one of them would have reason to complain about the gift they got. So Abaye now tells a story about himself on, about that day. When I left Rabbi's house, I was filled. I was satiated. When I got to Mari's house, they gave me 60 plates of 60 different cooked items. This is undoubtedly a, a guzma, exaggeration, nonetheless, a powerful point. And I ate 60 portions. And the last thing they had was called a fried piece. I was so hungry, I wanted to eat the plate. That's why people say, so poor a person is so hungry, he doesn't even know he's hungry. I must have been so famished because I'm, I'm poor that here I had this opportunity, I just couldn't stop eating. 
or else there's always room for something sweet. Just a sort of a, a little footnote is that these two Chachamim, who were uh, brothers, would swap their Sudot with each other. They would, uh, in other words, one would send their meal to the other and to the other, and that's how they would fulfill the mitzvah of Mishloach Manot. That's the note of the run. Now, Amarav, a very famous sentence. But a person is obligated to get so uh, inebriated on Purim that he can't tell the difference between Arur Muhammad and Baruch Mordechai. However, this is immediately followed up by the statement that Rabbi Rabbi Zera Avdu Sudat Purim Bahadeyadadi. Rabbi and Rabbi Zera made Sudat Purim together. Ivsum, they got drunk. Kam Rabbi Shachte the Rabbi Zera. So Rabbi got up and he attacked and, and hurt Rabbi Zera. So the next day he uh, prayed and and uh, restored him to his health. The next year he said to Rabbi Zera, Let's have a Sudat Purim together again. Sit back. Miracles won't happen every year. I'm not going to rely on that. Uh, there are many Rishonim who understand that the reason this story was brought here, the Miri notably, the reason that this story was brought here was to refute the earlier statement and say that there is no mitzvah to get drunk on Purim. The disputes and the different opinions about this are well known. Those are interested to take a look at the Rambam's approach to this. Uh, the Ramon notes also. If you eat the suit of Purim at night, meaning the 14th at night, then you're not Yotze. My time and you may mishteva simchakti. The Megillah says these are days of rejoicing. Rashi have a yativ coming to Rav Kana. So Rashi was in front of his Rebbe Rav Kana. Naga v'lo'atu Rabbanan. Got late. The Rabbanan weren't coming. My time v'lo'atu Rabbanan. Why aren't they here? Dilma treating the suit of Purim. So he said maybe they're having their suit of Purim. So why didn't they have it last night? Doesn't the master know hey, don't you know what Rava taught that if you ate the Suda Purim at night, you're not Yotse? Did Rava really say that? He said, yes. So he learned it from his own student. Ravashi taught Rav Kahana this halacha that you must have Suda Purim during the day. He learned it 40 times from him until it was as if it was resting in his pocket. He was so clear on this halacha. Have everyone have, have a wonderful day. Tomorrow we're going to start on the very uh, intriguing series of Mishnayot known as the Ain Bains.